0: Shotgun formation from Zappi, Fake the handoff, looking to his left, he will throw, looking end zone, great grab, Hunter Henry extends for the touchdown, perfectly executed by the Pats. Perfectly executed by the Pats, a statement that has not been uttered very often during the... 2023 season last night a far different Patriots team a team that showed up to play on a short week with nothing to play for a couple of touchdowns from Hunter Henry on his 29th birthday and here we are the Steelers making the worst kind of history we'll get into that and everything else as we unpack the first game of week 14 Peter based on your presence in Pittsburgh this morning I will assume you were at the game so you're in a position to give us some insight above and beyond what we saw on TV. And what we saw on TV from the perspective of the Steelers was not good.
1: Yeah. You know, Mike, a couple of interesting things I thought, you know, being in the, in the stadium, um, you know, and I'm not sure, I'm never sure what people can actually hear at home or whatever, but it did not take that crowd long to turn on Mitchell Trubisky. Um, And, you know, I walked in the locker room after the game last night and Trubisky, you know, was just kind of staring into space. He looked really despondent. Um, and if you're the Steelers right now, you know, you have taken, uh, you know, in essence, you know, a, a seven and four record that you thought pretty confidently a week ago was going to be nine and four soon. You're playing two, two and ten teams at home and you get swept. And to me, I'm uh, I am borderline kind of stunned at the at the results, but I don't think if you actually watch the games, you could be that surprised. The quality of quarterbacking by the Steelers is putrid and that really is above all you can talk about individual players and Deontay johnson loafing and and Pickens not coming through and or such and such on the defense yeah you you can do that this is a quarterback issue for the pittsburgh steelers i don't think they can recover i don't think they're going to make the playoffs and you know whether or not uh, the 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 somewhat significant record in the media uh, of Mike Tomlin never having a losing record, whether that falls, I mean, who really cares? You know, they got four games left. And to me, the only thing that matters is whether they can salvage this and somehow go to Indianapolis next Saturday and figure out a way to somehow beat the Colts. And otherwise it's a, it's a grim scene. Uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers.
0: Yeah, they got the Colts in that middle game of the mid-December triple header next week. They've got the Bengals the following Saturday on NBC and Peacock, and then trip to Seattle, trip to Baltimore to end the season. Every team they face is going to be trying to improve their playoff position, except for maybe Baltimore if they somehow lock up the number one seed and they pull yeah. their starters like they did four years ago. But the team they were playing last night had nothing to play for either. That's what makes this so amazing. For the first time in the 100-plus year history of the NFL, a team that was over 500 lost back-to-back games against teams at least eight games under 500. Now, that's not an opportunity that's going to arise very often to have it line up that way. But for the Steelers to lose four days apart at home, to the 2-10 and ten Cardinals, followed by the 2-10 and ten Patriots, really is astounding and, in the eyes of many Steelers fans, unforgivable. They blame everyone. Everyone. And the anti-Mike Tomlin crowd is going to be activated in the aftermath of the last two games. You're right, the quarterback play hasn't been great. Are they going to be willing to pivot to someone else after the season? Will they admit that Kenny Pickett doesn't do anything that is sufficiently spectacular to justify a third season? Do they think that maybe there can be a new offensive coordinator who could get more out of him? I don't know. These are all questions that Art Rooney's going to have to figure out after this season. But this is as bad as it gets. For a team that still has a winning record, this is as bad as it gets. And I think there is some significance to a guy who's been the head coach of the team since 2007, never having a losing record. He's got to go 2-2 two and two to preserve that. You look at these next four games and you look at how they played the last two games, two and two seems like a stretch. And I know they're always capable of turning around and they're saying all the right things. We're going to go back to work. We're going to go back to work. Well, going back to work hasn't done much for you the past week. I don't know what going back to work is going to do unless you start working differently. They have to do things differently. And I feel like that's their biggest flaw. Yeah, they fired Matt Canada and things changed a little bit but I just feel like they have a hard time adjusting on the fly. Once they're into a season, the season is what it is. And we just keep chopping wood and maybe the tree's going to fall the right way. Maybe the tree isn't, but all we know is to just keep chopping.
1: You know, Mike, I, I don't, I don't want to lay this on any one person because it isn't really one person's fault, but I do want to just point out a couple things and listen, by the way, We'll get to the Patriots. I I understand that, you know, a lot of times we get on the show on Friday and we just absolutely beat the losing team over the head for 40 minutes. So, (laughs) you know, but in this particular case, the losing team of this game lost for the second time in five days at home against a team that entered the game with a 2-10 record. That is astounding. And I want to point out just two things about Mitchell Trubisky. Mike, I don't know what you you saw when you watched the game last night, but what I saw is a quarterback who, for the most part, is playing with zero confidence. Zero. You know, he's tentative. He short-arms the ball. He very rarely, like on the two-point conversion to Friar last night to make it 21-18. That ball was thrown like a dart. But very rarely did he throw footballs like that last night. He was mostly tentative, a little bit tight, and otherwise he just really didn't seem to play with any confidence at all. Here's that dart. I mean, how many balls like that did you see last night? Three, four, I don't know, not many. But in this game, all right, he threw one interception early that was called back uh, on uh, defensive pass interference. He threw his pick that counted into triple coverage that led to the short field touchdown by the Patriots. And then he had a third pick dropped by J.C. Jackson. All in the first 20 minutes of the game. And, you know, Mike, I I don't know about you, but I watched this game last night and I felt like once that happened and the Steelers got up, ended up getting up 21 to three, it really felt like it was almost garbage time for the rest of the game. And And the Steelers were fighting, fighting, fighting uphill. And yeah, they had a chance to win late. They certainly did. But expecting Trubisky to make enough plays to actually make you win is... You know, is very unrealistic, at least to me. Now, Mike, I do want to talk about one play—the play that I thought lost the game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay, it was the last play of the third quarter. The Steelers had third and nine at their 15-yard line, and so Mitchell Trubisky should know—he should know where he has to get to to get the first down. And look, and instead of putting your nose down. Diving for the ball and taking it, diving for the first down and taking a huge hit, which he knew that it was third down. He had to get the first down. Look at him start to go down at the eight and a half yard line. You can't do that. You have got to go for the first down. That is the play, in my mind, that cost this team the game. If he dives for the ball, a competitive play, I think he's, I don't know whether he's going to make it. But he's going to be extremely close. And then the next play, obviously, they need two yards. They don't get it. And, you know, although the game wasn't over per se, look at this. Why? You've got no instinct as a quarterback. And it just, I looked at it and I just said, why? Why? And so, I I don't know, Mike. Again, I don't want this to come down all on one person. But my feeling after watching the game last night is that this this season's going to end poorly for the Steelers, and not that it really matters, but Mitchell Trubisky will be somewhere else next year. First of all, there are some Friday
0: mornings where I'll agree. We spend a lot of time chewing the meat off of the bone as it relates to the team that lost the game, because it gives us more to talk about, and it's juicy, and it's interesting. To the neglect of the team that won. I have a feeling yeah. there aren't a lot of Patriots fans clamoring to the TV or the radio this morning to hear about how their team went to 3-10. and 10. So I think we're safe yeah. this morning doing the thing <laughs> that the Steelers fans out there want to hear. What the hell is wrong? How is it going to get better? When is it going to get better? And is there any hope? And – Peter, I agree with you about Mitch Trubisky. Now, we know by now, even though I hear stories from time to time about people who go to a game and say, hey, where's that yellow line? The yellow line can't be seen when you're at the game, but the big orange right. sticks can be seen. And before Of course, the play, you've got you to know. know how far you have to go. You know how yeah. far you have to go, and he's been in the league since 2017. And, yeah, he hasn't played a lot lately, but you prepare yourself every week to play. He was talking a big game. We played the sound yesterday. Sounded like a guy who was ready to go out and light up the ski, uh, scoreboard and ultimately didn't, not nearly enough for the Steelers to win. But there is one thin, very thin, but it's there, silver lining in this dark cloud. The fact that the Steelers fell behind 21-3, to They're not a team that's built to come back. The fact that they almost did is encouraging to me. In a night that is overwhelmed with discouragement, the one thing I can point to is they found a way to make it a game. They found a way to make it close. Now, it's another example of the Steelers having a horseshoe, a shamrock, a four-leaf clover inserted in a place where those things ordinarily wouldn't go with the interception that set up the short field that culminated in the failed fourth down, then the blocked punt that gave them another chance at the touchdown that made it 21 18, their luck ran out. And we'll talk about the one play in particular that, that short circuited what seemed to be a potentially promising late game drive, but they did rebound from a game that felt lost and over and done. And that's encouraging. Not that you want to see them in that situation on a regular basis and not that I feel like they'd be able to pull a victory out of those circumstances. But the fact that they made it close made me think, OK, maybe they can find a way to come back from more than one score down, because typically with the Steelers, if they're two score down, two scores down, excuse me, they're done. They're not built to come back. Right. They almost did. And again, it's a it's a very thin silver lining. But it's something. If you're looking for something positive in this in this pile of crap from last night, that's the one positive. They found a way to make what looked like it was on its way to be a blowout very interesting
1: down to the end. You know, Mike, you're right about that. But I I guess I would say, and you talk about that play, the the flinch, the idiotic call. Uh and, and again, the only reason why. I don't treat that call like the seventh game of the World Series when I discuss this game, is that every single game, there's going to be a call or two that is confounding. There just is. That's the way the NFL game is right now. Whether anything can be done about it or not, I don't know. But the fact is, that is the way football is today. So We shouldn't accept that. We shouldn't
0: accept that. You sound like, uh, you bit, bit Peter, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You sound like Jerry Jones from the other day. I don't know if you saw his comments. Jerry Jones' attitude about bad officiating is we all (laughs) accept. The two teams accept it, so everybody else should too. I don't think we should accept that. I understand. I don't want us to be gaslit or gaslighted. I'm not quite sure of of the conjugation there. I don't want us to just accept the fact that every game is going to include an, oh, by the way, there was a horrible call that affected potentially the outcome of the game because it just happens in every game. You just have
1: to live with it. I don't want to get to that point. I'm not saying that you have to accept it. I'm saying that it exists. That in every game, you're going to see a call that you say, that is terrible. Now, it could be that over the next few years, those kind of things are ameliorated and uh, the games are cleaner without uh, the officials holding so much sway over them but but Mike let's face it okay there are going to be mistakes made by officials in all sports and that's why to me I don't think it was a particularly egregious evening in a negative way for the officials that's why I don't look at that one play that we're talking about that we're all in the press
0: We lost Peter. We'll get Peter back. We'll get Peter back. This is the play to which we're referring if you missed the end of the game. The head bob by the Steelers' long snapper, which drew the Patriots' defender offside. And everybody thought it was a foul against the Patriots. Everybody thought it would be a fresh set of downs for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They'd have been on their 43-yard line. On a drive where they'd already moved 18 yards in several plays. And it looked like they were getting something going. And the reaction to this, J.J. Watt put it best on Twitter or X or whatever. You see that all the time. That wasn't some abrupt head bob aimed at trying to induce someone to jump offside. Now, it did. It did cause, if you watch it and apply common sense, it did cause the Patriots player to jump. But we see that head move all the time. It happens all the time, and this speaks to the inconsistency that bugs me. I understand that mistakes are going to be made. We have Peter King back. I understand that no officials in any sport are going to be perfect, but when we are in a time where I don't feel like the NFL is doing everything it can to eliminate all mistakes, and if you're doing everything you can to eliminate all mistakes, then I can accept, okay, there are going to be mistakes. If you're not doing everything you can to eliminate all mistakes, and something like that happens in a key moment, when you never see that called, it's hard to accept. As a fan of the sport, as somebody who wants what's best for the game, it's hard to accept a weird curveball foul that comes in yeah. out of nowhere. There's no real explanation for it. It doesn't mesh with what we have experienced as people who watch a lot of football, it just seems weird, and you hate to have something that seems weird mar the outcome of a game. Welcome back. You didn't miss much.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I my I can I heard you the whole time. I'm sorry I dropped off, but I heard everything you said. I, I I guess the point that I would make is, at some point, we have to define what a flinch is. You know, I mean, because you see players moving all the time, and what constitutes a flinch? When like, why isn't a flinch when a tackle gets up from his thing and looks back at the quarterback like that in the middle of a snap, in the middle of a, of, of calling his cadence. There's just a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that is sloppy. And I was amazed. Remember uh, a couple of weeks ago when the Eagles are playing the bills and you got these two minuscule flinches from Jason Kelsey. Uh, and 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 they called them on both of them. And I said to, I, I talked to Kelsey after the game and I said that, that that was almost almost imperceptible both of those. And he goes, no, 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 I flinched. And I just kind of threw my hands up in the air and I said, this this is nuts. So but anyway, I think that needs to be better defined if only if only Mike, so that fans don't go totally bat crap when they have a gigantic call like there was in that game last night, I I would really love to know why some movements on the offensive line are flinches and some are not when clearly the guy has moved. So I think that is crazy.
0: And look, I don't want to excessively beat this drum or the dead horse as the case may be, but I want to make sure people understand this is why the commissioner was so strongly opposed to legalized gambling a decade ago before it happened and the NFL decided, screw it, we're just going to stuff our pockets with cash. The commissioner said, when gambling is legalized on a widespread basis, normal things that happen in the game will be viewed by fans as something nefarious. The fix is in. And I get that so much now when these things happen. That's the knee-jerk reaction by many people. I don't believe it. But I can't deny that I hear it and that people say it. They look at these things that they can't understand. They look at these inconsistencies and they think that it's all being manipulated towards some end that I I think is unrealistic. But I don't think it's unrealistic to realize that the very thing that Roger Goodell spoke out against distrust when it comes to normal occurrences in a game belief that there is match fixing, point shaving, all the things they cited repeatedly when they were against gambling, it's coming to fruition, and they better get it under control. And that's why, and you make a great point. We see all the time, when it's a pass play, quarterbacks in shotgun. Silent count usually is what prompts this. You see all sorts of head bobbing and pointing, and they're supposedly set. This guy's pointing at this guy. This guy's pointing at this guy. Oh, and then the left tackle or the right tackle leave a half second early so they have a better chance at keeping the quarterback from getting clobbered by the pass rusher. And those flags don't get thrown because they want to keep the quarterbacks healthy because healthy quarterbacks equal bigger ratings equals more money. So that feeds into this inconsistency. And when that call is made, when we've become accustomed to seeing guys flinching and jerking and looking and when we see that all the time and we see a normal movement of the head for a guy to look up before he snaps it, look up, see what's in front of him. And they're going to call that a false start. That's what makes it hard for people to understand, Peter. So I'm glad you pointed out all the stuff that happens before a snap and doesn't draw a foul. There is a lot of sloppy now. In the NFL, you know, and just another point related, you see a lot of guys in motion who start moving forward before the snap. Yeah. And that doesn't get called. They just get called all the time. That doesn't get called. And you see it like if you've watched football for years, there's a pattern to it. There's a rhythm to it that you're used to seeing before the snap. And we're seeing all sorts of crap happen now before the snap that disrupts that order that we're so accustomed to seeing before the play actually begins.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting, not that we're talking about this, but I think the reason why the movement forward doesn't get called is because I think coaches like Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel especially, Mike, you see these orbit motions that teams do right now? You know, the motions that where you start from one side, you know, the left wide receiver slot. And a guy comes in reverse behind the quarterback. And then you're only supposed to be able to go, you know, laterally, obviously, or horizontally, I guess would be the best way to describe it. And you start moving up the field, even, I wouldn't call it imperceptibly, but you're still mostly moving sideways, but you have started moving forward. And you know, and they will they that's gotta be cleaned up if indeed they want to clean it up. But I think one of the things that the competition committee will say and the NFL will say after the season is hold on a minute. We don't want to kill that. You know why? It's good for offense. And in a year right. when right. Exactly. in a year when the points are still I think the points are a little bit down this year. In a year the points are down. We don't want to do anything to help drive the points even further down. So we are going to allow this to happen. Now, whether that happens, whether it doesn't happen, I don't know. But I don't think they want to put the kibosh on what smart, imaginative offensive play designers and play callers like McVeigh, like Shanahan, like McDaniel. They want to they want to encourage that, not put a boot on it.
0: Excellent point, Peter. And that's exactly why they allow all the jerky herky movements of the offensive lineman before the snap. They want to protect the quarterback. They want to give the quarterback the best chance to throw the ball and gain yards and eventually score points and also not get injured. That's what makes what happened last night. So glaring throwing that flag. Under a circumstance that would have helped the offense if they had called offside, it would have made for a more exciting finish. The Steelers would have had the game. Like, to the extent that you believe and I believe they're going to look the other way on this because it helps offense, why all of a sudden do they cut completely against that momentum and throw a flag for something that we see all the time? That's what makes it harder for the fans to accept when that happens, that it isn't just incompetence, that it isn't just People make mistakes, that there's something deeper going on, even if there isn't, they think that there is, perception is reality, and this is just, I think, a microcosm of the challenge the NFL currently faces. Because that whole thing just made no sense last night, and when things make no sense, people apply their own explanation to fill the void, and the explanation isn't a favorable one for the NFL. If you have more and more people saying, "Aha, you all are in bed with the sports books, you're making millions off of them some way somehow you're doing their bidding, the fix is in, you try to help that you know all the stupid, cynical things when you have nothing else to tangibly put your your hands around. People fall back to that kind of conspiracy theory stuff that I don't think is justified here, but I understand why they do it.
1: Yeah. I don't buy it at all. Um, but I find it, I find two things interesting related to the game last night, which is the Steelers were penalized once for five yards in that game last night for the, for 60 minutes, they were penalized once for five yards and I don't know about you, but that was not a penalty on the Steelers. And it was a terrible call. But, as I say, but, 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 as I say, these things happen in football. You're going to get some bad calls and blah, blah, blah. The other thing I would say just about how this game progressed. Mike, I got the distinct impression last night. That at one point, they actually were thinking about bringing in Mason Rudolph. Now, maybe Mike Tomlin would say, no, we never seriously thought of it. And if not, my question would be, why? And I get that Mitchell Trubisky uh, helped to bring him back. I think it's a little shallow to say, ah, look, Trubisky brought him back. You know, an interception brought him back. A block punt brought him back. Let's, Let's say what happened. In the game, you know, I'm not giving Mitchell Trubisky a lot of credit for much in that game. Yes, did they uh, score the last 18 points of the game and come close, coming close to completing the comeback? Yes, but I think if you're the Steelers right now, you have to think seriously about playing. And I don't think they will. It's not their way. You have to think seriously about playing Mason Rudolph at Indianapolis a week from Saturday assuming that Kenny Pickett can't go.
0: Boy, what you said just there, that's something we could spend a whole show on, I think. The idea that it's not their way. There are so many things that the Steelers don't do and do that are just their way. And when it works, it's fine. But there's a lot of these idiosyncrasies that I presume, flow from the top of the organization. You know, we, we're not going to negotiate contracts once the season starts. they got all these rules that they apply. And they're very patient with their coach. They're very patient with their quarterback. They're patient to a fault. And when it's working, it's fine. When it's not working, it becomes a glaring problem. And the one thing, Peter, that drives me crazy about the Steelers this year, I think George Pickens has the potential to be one of the best receivers in the NFL. They just don't use him. They don't scheme the ball to him. They don't get the ball in his hands. And when I hear Bill Belichick, who is the master of identifying what the other team does best and taking it away, when he says after the game, their two objectives were to neutralize TJ Watt on defense and to neutralize George Pickens. That just underscores the fact that the Steelers don't recognize what they have. And I'm sure there's a hell of a story behind the scenes about why Mike Tomlin and the organization don't want to showcase, to feature, to exploit the skills of George Pickens. But when Bill Belichick studies the Steelers and knows this is the guy we have to stop, of all the guys on the offense, not Jalen Warren, not Najee Harris, not Pat Fryermuth, not Deontay Johnson, not the quarterback, we got to take away George Pickens. You know, And you hear all the platitudes after the game. we got to go back to work. we got to go back to work. Well, there's a difference between working hard and working smart. I'd love to know that the Steelers are going back to work to figure out what we can do to get more out of this guy. He was frustrated during the game, just like he was the last time they played on a Thursday night against the Titans. Tomlin was talking to him during the game. Trubisky spoke about it after the game. George is frustrated, and for good reason. One of the great coaches of all time in any sport recognizes what they have, and they don't. When are they going to recognize what they have, Peter?
1: I'll say this. I have a different view on that almost entirely. There are times, <clears throat> there are times, look, if you look at the way Bill Belichick is coached in his life, uh, let's go back to, in, in in his era in New England, let's go back to the first Super Bowl they ever played in. what did they do? They took Marshall Falk out of the game. Okay, Isaac Holt. Okay, uh, our Isaac Bruce, Tory Holt, Kurt Warner, you guys can go and play the fancy passing game all you want. But every time you run the ball, we are going to make sure that it's second and nine every time because we're not going to let Marshall Falk uh, beat us. So I don't even think it's particularly crazy or abhorrent that the Steelers can't get him going or anything like that. Here's what I think. I think there are times when your receivers have to fight out of the doldrums. And I don't see that fight out of either Pickens or Johnson. Okay, I watched a lot, especially of Johnson last night. And he may say he's not loafing anymore, but just watch the game. Watch all the plays. And, you know, I I, want to know how many times he came off the line absolutely with full effort. And, you know, you watch some of Pickens as well. And so I want my receivers to fight more. Justin Jefferson fights. Uh, he, He doesn't accept if five plays in a row he's been neutralized or there's always a safety over the top. He figures it out. And Kirk Cousins, you know, when they were healthy together, they figured it out most often. And in my opinion, I think I want to see more fight out of the Steeler receivers.
0: I don't disagree with you, Peter, but I think there's an obligation on the team at some point to come up with more creative ways to get the ball in their hands so they can just do something. A quick slant pass, a jet sweep, something. Yeah. So they can actually touch the football during the game and get themselves going. I remember when Randy Moss was early in his career and John Madden would say, you got to get him the ball early to get him involved. If you don't get him the ball early, he checks out. So I think it's human nature in those situations to react the way these guys are when the team isn't sitting down and saying, let's go back to the drawing board here. Let's come up with some different plays. Let's come up with, and they clearly have different plays. They did some crazy ass stuff last night where, the Connor Hayward attempt to throw a touchdown pass. that was almost a pick six. So they're capable of coming up with some ideas. Why are there no ideas, whether it's Johnson or Pickens to get the ball in their hands in a spot where they can maybe do something with it afterward. It's just, as the Steelers work hard, we got to go back to work. What are we going to do? Oh, you lost a 2-10 and team and a 2-10 team. What are you going to do? Well, we're going to keep working. Well, okay, fine. Keep cutting that tree, but maybe you should chop in a different spot. Maybe you should think differently before the tree falls on your head. Okay, um, I want to flip it over to the Patriots. They finally found something in Bailey's Zappi after clinging to Mac Jones far longer than they should have. I don't know what you believe. We haven't had this conversation about what's going to happen when the season ends. I think that if we were creating odds of Bill Belichick's future, returning to the Patriots as the head coach next year would be the longest and the most remote wager on the board. What do you think is going to happen, though? How do you think this is all going to play out? We're just about a month away, I think exactly a month away from day after week 18. When things start to move, what do you think is going to occur?
1: My gut feeling with zero inside information. Zero. My gut feeling is that Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick are going to create a slightly tense united front and Kraft is going to thank Belichick for everything and Belichick... Is going to say he wants to keep coaching. You know, Mike, did you notice last night? That was Bill Belichick's 332nd career victory, including playoffs. That puts him 15 games behind, 15 wins behind Don Shula, which means he's got to win 16 games now to be the winningest coach of all time. And for those who question, whether he will coach, and I don't know what he's going to do. I haven't talked to Bill Belichick in 17 years, so I don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> but I can just tell you this: <laughs> of all the people I've ever met, you know, did I ever tell you about my trip to Bill Belichick's home in a leafy Massachusetts suburb uh, before he got divorced, and walk into his house, and I wanted to see his football library? And we walk into this library, and there are, I think, 900 books all on this one wall. And it's all about the history, all things related to the history of pro football, you know, biographies of Newt Rockney, and, you know, books about the wing tee and about the history of scouting, things like that. So this, this person is more of a football savant a football history servant. He's the Doris Kearns Goodwin of people who love pro football. And to think that that record doesn't mean the world to him, I think you'd probably be kidding yourself. And I'm not saying he coaches just to break records, but I think he believes that it'd be a pretty cool thing after the team things that he's accomplished. You know, the Super Bowls with the Giants as uh, defensive coordinator, the six Super Bowls with the Patriots. I think he thinks that, OK, I'm going to get an individual record that I think it's wrong to say it'll never be broken. Most records usually are, but that may never be broken. 348 victories or however many he ends up with. So I think that he and Robert Kraft understand at the end of the day that it's about Peace and harmony and Kraft thanking him. Now, there's only one problem with my neat little theory, Mike Florio, and that is, what if Robert Kraft has it has it emblazoned em, em uh, on on everything that he believes that I we need to better our team. I want to get a high draft choice for Bill Belichick. You know, if we do let him go. Just It's just my feeling after what Belichick has done for this franchise, which is everything, Uh, I think that I would just say, we want you to go and good luck to you. Thanks for everything. I don't think he should be holding out for – I don't think he'd get a one for him right now, coaching next year at age 72. And is it worth really going to town for a second-round draft choice for Bill Belichick? Now, look, I have no idea what the market would be. I don't know. I don't even know. Mike, you tell me. You tell me this, because I'd like to hear this. What teams would legitimately be interested in Bill Belichick? I can think of two. If they make coaching changes, which we think that there's a chance they will. Washington or the Chargers. And look, Brandon Staley could still save his job. So maybe it's just Washington. And so I look at this now. And I'm not sure, will Chicago be interested in Bill Belichick? I doubt it. You know, I, I I don't I don't see an absolute clear path to where Bill Belichick is going. And I know there are some out there who believe that, oh, Belichick knows where he's going. He knows where he'll be next year. I I, I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. So I think at the end of the day, I think that. Kraft takes a very deep breath and uh, thanks Belichick for the memories and they reach some sort of amicable financial settlement. Kraft may even just give Belichick everything. Who knows? I don't know what will happen, but I think they will part more amicably than uh, than not.
0: I think it's reasonable to suspect that arrangements are being made behind the scenes hypothetical conversations are occurring between Belichick and Kraft and also between Kraft and other owners who might be interested in Belichick and if there is compensation to be given in light of the fact that Belichick has one year left on his contract that compensation gets unofficially worked out now the wheels get put in motion after there's a parting of the ways the Patriots still have him under contract for one more year that's a process that gets ugly if everyone isn't on board with it, because Belichick could just say, fine, if you're going to insist on getting a draft pick for me, I'll come back and coach. So it has to be done delicately. It has to be done professionally. And there there are leaps of faith that are made. But I got a couple of things to say. First, as to whether or not Belichick's going to want to keep coaching. You mentioned you haven't spoken to him in 17 years. I know why you haven't spoken to him in 17 years. He holds a grudge over your comments about Spygate. Well, that's one of the reasons he wants to catch Shula, some believe. Because Shula was over the top in his criticism of Belichick. He wants to catch Shula and stick it to Shula. People believe that. We don't know because he doesn't talk to anybody. But there's that theory out there that that's one of the reasons he's going to keep going. He wants to catch Shula because Shula criticized him heavily, heavily and openly after Spygate. As it relates to the, the future. Throw the Buccaneers in there as teams that would be interested. I don't know that Belichick wants to follow the same trail that Tom Brady blazed to Tampa Bay. I think that would be weird, but they could be at the table as well as potentially interested. And I think the biggest factor in all of this, Peter, what guardrails, if any, get applied to Bill Belichick, the GM? Do they tell him you got to bring back Scott Pioli? Do they tell him you got to find a way to get Nick Casario from the Texans? Do they tell him you got to find somebody? That's going to be your table setter. It can't just be you surrounded by people who aren't as skilled as Pioli and Casario going out there selecting the groceries before you cook the meal to use Bill Parcells line. I think that is the most important factor for wherever he goes next. How much power does he want beyond coaching? How much power will he get? And whatever he gets, what's he going to do with it? Because we've seen what he's done with absolute power.
1: He's put together a team that before last night was two and 10. I, Mike, I, I know, I know this. If I'm an owner and I want to hire Bill Belichick, of course I feel him out first to, to ask him what he thinks about personnel. His personnel acumen in the last few years has been abjectly disastrous. So I'm not giving him control of personnel. If he wants to coach the team, if he wants to cut the roster, good. You can cut the roster on Labor Day weekend. It's all yours. And you can coach the team with zero interference from anyone. However, you're not running the draft. If you want to run the draft, you can go do it somewhere else. You're not doing it here. You know, if you show me over and over and over again, And again, I I mean, you can, every team can pick out individual picks that didn't really work out. I'm just talking about this is, if you look at the canvas of Bill Belichick over the last few years in the draft, he's had some nice picks, you know, but overall, this team is exactly where it should be. This team is legitimately three and ten. And just like almost every team, you are what you say you are. That's why I don't think it's phony that the Giants were good last year. I don't think it's phony that the Giants went into Minnesota and won a playoff game. You know, some teams get hot sometimes. That's the way it is. Your coaches get hot. Your defense is playing well. The calls you make are right. You have a very positive frame of mind and you just win. That's great. But I don't think what's happened to the Giants this year is phony either. It is real. You are the way you play. You are what your record says you are. And that's why right now, Bill Belichick, I believe I'm right in saying this, is seven games below 500 since Tom Brady walked off campus. That isn't good enough. And the personnel side of it contributes to that mightily. So I if I'm an owner... Even if I'm a guy like Dean Spanos and I don't draw many lines in the sand, if I'm a guy like Dean Spanos, if I'm Josh Harris in Washington, just because he's the great and powerful Oz, I'm not giving him control of my franchise after watching the last few years in New England. I'm just not.
0: And that speaks to a related point. Beyond the fact that these owners all want to win games, it's also a business that hinges on Getting your fan base, getting your customers sufficiently motivated to come to the games, buy tickets, spend their money on overpriced stuff, be excited, watch shows to see what's being said about their team, get fully engaged, consuming the content that the team itself makes available on the web and elsewhere. I don't know how excited fan bases are going to be about Bill Belichick. I posted a very unscientific poll on X the other day with the very simple question, if your team... Has a coaching vacancy after this season. Do you want Bill Belichick? And and who knows how accurate this ultimately is. But it's a pretty overwhelming no based upon the number of responses. The last time I checked, there were well over 10,000. So I, I, I don't know how excited a fan base is going to get about Bill Belichick 2023. Bill Belichick 2013? 2018? Yes. 2023? It's not going to be the way to sell out your season tickets the first day. You're not going to have a bunch of people buying you know, hoodies and ripping off the sleeves the day that Bill Belichick gets hired. So I, you better be damn sure he's going to turn you into a winner because it's not going to be the same thing as going out there and making a big splash in free agency and bringing in some player that's going to get everybody excited. I don't know how much excitement he's going to bring to a team that that is – looking for some reason to believe that things are going to be dramatically better in the future.
1: Yeah. It's interesting, Mike, you think about, you know, let's think about a team that really needs to get its fan base to fall in love with it. Let's talk about Washington right now. Let's talk about Josh Harris. What would happen right now? If on the beltway, uh, you know, the circle freeway around Washington, what would happen if you put a giant photo of Bill Belichick on a billboard, <laughs> and you say, "We're back, baby," with a Bill Belichick photo, <laughs> I want—I just wonder. I wonder, and you know, a burgundy and gold billboard. Okay, I wonder what would people think of that. Would they say ho hum? Would they say oh? Okay, credibility—that's great. Finally, we got somebody. The buck is going to stop with Belichick and all that. And and I guess my whole point is, <clears throat> you know, I remember one time I was talking to somebody when I used to cover the New York Giants, and I mentioned the old cliche because it's been around for longer than I've uh, been doing this about quote winning the press conference you know, with your head coach or with your first round draft pick or whatever. And, you know, the point was made to me that, you know, nothing matters about winning in January or February or April. It only matters if you actually win when the games are played. And so I don't know what the reaction would be by a fan base for Belichick's face to show up on a billboard. Would... Would there be excitement or would there be – oh, God.
0: You have to believe that you're going to win with him because the excitement (laughs) comes from the winning. And the commanders are in the unique position to still enjoy the afterglow of Dan Snyder is gone. So they don't need Bill Belichick to sell tickets and create excitement. There's still some baked in, thank God Snyder isn't here anymore – But Belichick would then have to win, or the whole thing is a disaster. So you just wonder how that's going to play out. Let me flip it around. we got to go in a few minutes. But this is something that Chris and I were talking about yesterday, and I'm curious for your thoughts on this. Ed Bouchette, formerly the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and then more recently the Athletic, who's now retired but still does some radio in Pittsburgh, he said earlier this week that Art Rooney ordered Mike Tomlin to fire Matt Canada. And I believe that Art Rooney ordered... Mike Tomlin did not give Bruce Arians a new contract back after the 2011 season. There's been a lot of that micromanaging of Tomlin since he became the coach in 2007. And from time to time, the question comes up, should the Steelers fire Mike Tomlin, which I think is ludicrous because Tomlin would get snatched up, I believe, by somebody else quickly. And then the Steelers would have to find someone else and who knows how it's going to work out. But do you think there's a chance Tomlin in his early 50s? He's been in Pittsburgh since 2007. Do you think maybe he's getting to the point, Peter, where he's thinking about, is this the right place for me? Is there a better spot for me where I wouldn't be told by the owner what to do with my coaching staff, where I'd have a little more freedom to run the team as I see fit, where I wouldn't be saddled with some of the personnel decisions that maybe I'm involved in maybe I'm not I feel like they use a collective approach there but ultimately Art Rooney's got a lot of say he just doesn't wear it on his sleeve so and the team plays well so nobody ever really points the finger at him but do you think a coaching change could be on the table in Pittsburgh not necessarily from the perspective of the team initiating it but maybe Tomlin get to the point where he's kind of had enough and it's just time for a fresh start it's time for change for the sake
1: of change Mike, every year there's one – I'll tell you what I think. Uh, uh, First of all, I'm always – I'm not shocked, but I'm always surprised whenever I'm in or around Pittsburgh at the level of discontent with Mike Tomlin. It just always surprises me. You know, I think um, that there are things to be unhappy with um, the offense is fairly prehistoric, even though there are some really good weapons on it. Um, they do things oftentimes at a glacial pace, which I think is frustrating for fans. Um, and so I understand that. But I think overall, my point is, winning is hard. It's just really, really hard. You know, Bill Belichick in his career, has coached 29 years. This will be his eighth losing season, eight in 29 years. So Mike Tomlin, this is his 16th year. In the previous 15, he's had zero losing seasons. And for those, oh, you know, throw your stats in your pocket. They don't mean anything. He's only won one Super Bowl, all that stuff. I get it. I know there's dissatisfaction. But all I can say with Mike Tomlin, all I can say is be careful what you wish for That's all I'm saying. How many coaches right now who started Mitchell Trubisky against a good defensive team on national TV last night, how many people are winning the game? And again, the Steelers probably should have won the game. They handed uh, the Patriots some points. I get it. I understand it. But in general, in general, I think it's hard to win. And I think Mike Tomlin without a franchise quarterback, has a better record than Bill Belichick without his franchise quarterback. And just remember, I'm not Confucius, but I will just say for the third time in the last 90 seconds, it's hard to win in the NFL.
0: And with that, we'll take our first break on this Friday edition of PFT Live. We never identified the show, but you know what? I've gotten to the point where I assume that if you're listening, if you're watching, you kind of know what it is and you know what you're in for. And on a Friday morning, you're in for a lot of talk about the Thursday night game. And there aren't many Thursday night games left this season. When we return, a big Sunday night game between the Eagles and the Cowboys. We're going to break that one down when PFT continues right after this.